Today, God, we, we are ready to hear your word. We're ready to hear from you. We're ready not just to hear, but to put your words into practice. So that I pray that as we listen, your words will just come into our soul and just divide the things out that don't need to be there. Divide our, our humanness and replace with your goodness. Lord, I pray that as we, we hear, as we listen, as we, we reflect on what you have to say to us, Lord, that we'll just sense a real peace in our hearts, a real challenge by your Holy Spirit and a real comfort in knowing that you are for us, not against us. You're, you're wanting us to grow and, and to be more like you. So, God, we want to give you all authority in this place. Holy Spirit, we ask you to move however you want to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please take a seat. Nice to see you. Um, this morning, or yesterday, I don't know, last week, um, I was thinking about our values of our church. And values, we all have values, sometimes we're not aware of them, but values is what drives culture. Um, culture is what you do, and kind of values is why you do it. And so a number of years ago now, we tried to articulate the values of this church. And you'll hear us often say things like, um, you know, acceptance, come as you are, you know. Um, family um, or relationship, we're family doing life together. Um, they're our values, so acceptance, relationship. But the third one's transformation. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes I'm not sure if we emphasize that enough. Um, and the fourth one's empowerment. We're about empowering others. And so um, this morning I want to talk about transformation. And when we um, wrestled with this and thought, you know, this is where about transformation, we're about, tra- it's okay to come as you are, but if you've been here for 10 years and you're still as you were when you came in, something's not right. Because we believe in a God that changes things. And he changes us, more importantly. And what I love about um, the transformation one, the little tagline we felt was appropriate was, how does transformation happen? Well, it happens as simply as this. Less of me and more of God. Um, but this morning, like I, I've, so I've been wrestling with this all week because I wanted to preach on spiritual growth. But, I don't, you know, the danger with that is we can get all religious, can't we? Well, our human nature loves religion. Oh, well, try harder. Try harder next time. You know, read your Bible more. Pray more. You know, all that stuff. It's not going to help you at all, actually. Let's look at what might help us. And so I wrestled, in, and you've heard me tell these kind of stories. This thing is loose, and can someone fix it? Because I'm hopeless with it. Um, I'll just walk away. Um, I tell these kind of stories all the time. I like to buy books. I'm, I'm, I'm doing quite well in my recovery, aren't I? I haven't bought many books. I've been given strict instructions. I'm not allowed, not allowed to keep buying books. Because this is what I do. Um, the guys who have been through the Salvation Discipleship School, and if you've been here a while, you might have taught me talk about uh, one of my favorite books, Spiritual Leadership, by a guy called Oswald Sanders. And um, way back in 1992, a leader of mine told me not to buy it because it would destroy my life. So I bought it, of course. <laughs> Isn't that what you do? And it did destroy my life because it took away all my excuses for being a slacker. Spirit, and it... And it gave me a perspective on leadership was not this world's perspective on leadership. Things like, you know what, the people that should be on the platform are the people who don't want to be there. One of the qualifications in spiritual leadership is reluctance. 
You realize that? Jesus went out and found the reluctant people, the people that would be more comfortable up the back. So those kind of principles. So I love the writer of this book. So, of course, I went into a bookshop one day, and I found him wrote two more books. I got so excited, and I bought them, and I've never read them. So this week I was looking for, how do you define spiritual maturity? How do you, how do you speak about this without it being, well, you have to do this and you have to do that? I don't want to talk like that. That's religion. I'm into relationship with Jesus and Holy Spirit and the Father. And so I found this book called Spiritual Maturity. I went, oh, that's a good topic. That might have some answers in it. And I went to this chapter that said... Um, I've got it written here, so I'm going to remember the chapter. But it was something like the character of Christ. And I thought, oh, that sounds good. You know what, as I started to read it, it's just talking about the Beatitudes. You know when Jesus went up the Sermon on the Mount, they call it, and he talked about how blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, or some translations say happy are. Um, and, you know, I've preached on that before, I've studied it before, but I've looked at it with fresh eyes. And so today I want to talk about the first four Beatitudes, which is interesting, that's about our relationship with God. The second four is about our relationship with people. I thought, you know what, let's unpack that next week. But both are indicators of growth. So all I want to do this morning, really, is I'm kind of unpack it like this. I know I'm growing when. Because the guys, these are old books. Like um, Oswald Sanders was an old guy. These books were written ages ago. But what happens is you get good oil, right? The truth of God never changes. So you find people out there that read their stuff and they put it in a nice new book and put a preface on it. And what one of the guys said in the preface was this. Spiritual maturity is not a position we reach. Do you hear that? It's not a position. So I'm not spiritually mature. Is that okay? Spiritual maturity is not a position we reach or a goal we achieve. It's not a goal. It's not my goal to be spiritually mature. It's a life we find ourselves living. Does that make sense? It's just a life. So we're not kind of, it's a life I'm living right now. And so what I wanted to do was kind of, how do we measure that? How do I know if I'm growing? Because the other concern I had, and I looked at this, and they've researched it, even non-Christian people have researched this, right? And you know this, that because it happens with your body. If it's not growing, it's dying. And, and what I think is concerning about this is usually when we stop growing, we don't really, you know, you've got those plants in the garden, it looks all right. And, and it looks okay, but it stopped growing. And it's not obvious at first until it starts, the, the signs of death become really obvious. You know what, sadly, I've seen people do that in their Christian journey. And suddenly, you know, they... they their, their spiritual life falls apart. And they do really weird behaviors. And you go, oh, I didn't see that coming. But they'd stop growing. And sooner or later, if you stop growing, you start dying. So I really, I'm really passionate that I don't want to start dying. And as I looked at this more than ever before, and I, I, I need to preach this sermon the right way, right? And I think that is, I'm preaching this to myself this morning. You can listen if you want to. But I'm absolutely preaching this to myself. Because as I looked at some of these indicators, I thought, you know what, I'm not sure I'm doing that as well as I did 30 years ago. That may need some work in my life. 
So let's have a look. On your seat are some handouts if you want to, if that helps you follow along with some blanks. It'll be on the screen as well. So how do I know if I'm growing? I know I'm growing when I have a sense of inadequacy. <laughs> Who knew? You won't find that in the New York Times. You're growing if you feel inadequate. And it's particularly about spiritual inadequacy. You know, the spiritual giants in the Bible were the people that realized they were inadequate without God. They just, they didn't have it, they couldn't cut it, they hadn't made it. They were inadequate. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus said. And what that means is poor in spirit means spiritually inadequate. We know that without God, we can't do it. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Doesn't say blessed are the guys that got it all together. The guys, the, the spiritual giants that have done great things for God. It says the poor in spirit. Those who know they're not enough. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit means humble dependence on God. We heard the testimonies today. They're great testimonies. God, if you don't show up, I'm down. I need you. And what happens when we pray those prayers? God shows up. See, when God doesn't show up, it's like, I'm right. I'm okay. I can do it. How'd that go for you last time you tried it? It's admitting our need of God. This is when, where I live in a state where I'm emptied of self-reliance. Emptied of self-reliance. See, it's the opposite of the world's message. The world tells us we have to be self-reliant, self-made men, women. Here's what Paul says. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, don't we? But I cannot carry it out. I cannot. I want to do the right thing. I want to get it right. But I can't. That's what Jesus was talking about when he talked about poor in spirit. Those who admit they can't. This is where I realize that I can't be good as God defines good. I can't be good without God. Now, I just want to clarify something here because I've heard a lot of people argue, oh, well, they're a good person. You know why we can say good people are good people? Because when the Bible talks about good, it's not talking about good. It's talking about godly. Talking about people in a healthy relationship with Jesus. When you read good in the Bible, it's not talking about someone who pays their taxes, you know, doesn't speed, you know, treats their kids nice. It's not talking about that. It's talking about someone who's like Jesus. That's what good means in the Bible. See, the, the world takes everything from the Bible and waters it down to something that's okay. It's okay. It's okay. They're a good person. But they're not a godly person. See, the Word of God discerns, defines, cuts between bone and marrow, see? It shows black and white. You know, the world's not that grey. <laughs> we just need to apply the Bible to it. And you'll see it's quite black and white in a lot more areas than we realise. The word good is used so frequently in our everyday lives that it almost loses its meaning. For example, how many times a day do we say, good morning, good luck, and good work? But the Bible tells us that the word good actually means holy. Pure, righteous, 
not just on the outside, but in our heart motivation. Literally, goodness is godliness. So we can only live godly lives if we depend totally on God. Maybe instead of saying, have a good day to our Christian brothers and sisters, we should say, have a godly day. Just a thought. Secondly, I know I'm growing when I'm grieved by my sin. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This is not just mourning like we do over the loss of someone. This is mourning over our sin, grieving over our sin. Not making excuses, not justifying it, but actually being broken by it. This is a brokenness and contrition um, or the contrite heart that David found when he received a conviction that came through the prophet Nathan. And we see it expressed in Psalm 51 when he cried out, Make in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. You may know the story of David. David was the greatest king. Israel, well, probably greatest, second greatest. Him and Solomon, they were pretty great. And God chose him out of, you know, the back paddocks, really. And made him king. And this is why it's important that we never think we've arrived. Because when David was probably at the peak of his ministry, at his kingship, or whatever you want to call it, instead of being really interesting line, he went and committed adultery, right? But the beginning of that chapter, it says, when the kings were at war. So where was David supposed to be? At war, leading instead of loafing. But he was at home having a rest because you know what? I've made it. I don't have to go to war anymore. I don't have to lead from the front anymore. I can just chill out. Well, guess what happens when we chill out in our relationship with Jesus? He just happened to see a beautiful woman bathing on a roof across the building, another building. And it didn't even bother him. This is how, I don't think this happened quickly. I think David stopped growing long before this. And then opportunity comes up just at the right time. Because he didn't even care that it was someone else's wife when he found out. That's not the David of a few chapters before. He stopped growing. And so he committed adultery with her and worse than that. And when she became pregnant, he went and killed, had her husband killed. And worse than that, he just then got on with life as normal. This is what this is talking about. Blessed are those who mourn. It's saying blessed are those who don't sin and then go, oh, well, you know, it's okay. Let's go on as normal. God doesn't want us to go on as normal, friends. And let me define sin. Sin is not necessarily what we do. It's our heart attitude to God. And, you know, please don't take offense, but it's more or less telling God to go get stuffed, even in the little things. Even in the little things, when God prompts us to do something, and we go, oh, yeah, I'll think about that. God's not asking you to think about it. He's asking us to do it. So God sends the prophet Nathan to tell the story. I love this about God, right? The last people to know that we're deceived is us. The last person to know I'm deceived is me. So he sends a Nathan. We need to listen to the Nathans. And you know what? Nathan was a brave prophet because David was a king. So if Nathan come in there, David could have had him killed too. Oh, you offended me. I'll kill you. This is what Nathan said, right? Because 
David had David had become spiritually blind. Nathan come in. He said, "There are two men." I want to tell you a story, David. Oh, okay, love stories. There were two men in a certain town. One rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveller came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveller who had come to him. Instead, he took the little lamb that belonged to the poor man. And prepared it for the one who had come to him. David's response to the story. David burned with anger against the man. And he said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay, in other words. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And here's here's the punchline, right? Nathan looked at David and he said, you are this man. You are this man. You know why we run from God and hide? For the same reason Adam and Eve did. I think God in his holiness is just like a big old mirror. And when we come face to face with God, we have the same response as Isaiah did. Woe is me. I am unclean. Friends, don't hide from God. Because you know what it says there? Blessed are mourn, blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And you know what Oswald Sanders pointed out here? You can't be comforted if you haven't mourned. Isn't that interesting? If you haven't found the cross comforting lately, it's probably you haven't been broken over your sin enough lately. The cross loses its power if we make sin a little thing. But when we realize that sin causes us to die, then the cross becomes our life. It becomes our light. Oswald Sanders says there can be no comfort where there's no grief. This is a sense of spiritual poverty, of lukewarmness before God. You ever been um, grieved over your apathetic attitude towards God? I don't think I have enough. Of distance from him, unlikeness to Christ that leads to sorrow. When we truly are broken and sorrowful, our sinful nature then comes, then comes over our sinful nature, then comes God's comfort. And he said to David, um, this is what Nathan then said to David, like David then admitted his sin. He said, oh, you know what? I've sinned. I've done the wrong thing. I realize what I've done. It's terrible. You know what the Lord said? He said, Nathan said to David, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. That was pretty good news. Because, you know what? God could have wiped David out. And he forgave him. As soon as we acknowledge that we've messed up, God forgives us. Straight away. And so we're comforted. You know what? I I think I'm going to make it to heaven. I find that really comforting. You know why? Because I just admit that I've stuffed it up. And I don't deserve to be there. That's what David did. And so he was comforted. Number three, I know I'm growing when I don't have to get my own way. Sorry, they only get worse, don't they? Oh, really? I like to get my own way. I really like to get my own way. 
Makes me feel good. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness is the gentleness of strength in reserve. Did you hear that? Meekness is the gentleness of strength in reserve. Uh, you might have heard of meekness is not weakness. It's someone who's got the power but knows how to restrain it. Oswald Sanders says, essentially it's the attitude of mind that does not insist on its own rights. Gee, that's different to the world I live in. Hey? Does, doesn't insist on its own rights. Did Jesus insist on his own rights? Of course he didn't. So if we're going to live like Jesus, we can't insist on our own rights, friends. I'm sorry. Channel 9, Channel 2, SBS and everyone else might be fighting for their rights, but Jesus never did. And so we have to be countercultural. We have to, well, we don't have to be, but if you want to be a Christian, you need to be. If you want to follow Jesus, well, that's what it looks like. That I don't fight for my rights because he fights for them. Not me. He does. He defends me. He fights for me. It is always ready. Meekness is always to ready to renounce its own plans. Done that lately? And joyously embrace God's plans. Meekness is happy to renounce its own plans and embrace God's plans. It is a meek not the aggressive, they will inherit the earth. I, I just think that's a word of freedom. If you need freedom today from fighting for your rights and aggressively going after what you want in life, just get free today. Let God open the doors for you instead of kicking them in, instead of bashing against them. Let God bring that man into your life or that woman into your life or that child into your life or whatever it is that you say desperately want, I encourage you to lay it on the altar and say, God, if it's your will, may it be done. You know what? If it's not done, he'll bring something better. Because the other thing I've learned, that life's not about the job you get. Yeah, I'm 52 years old and I don't think I achieved all I thought I wanted to achieve. So it's caused me to look inside and go, what is life really about? You know what the purpose of life is for a Christian? Is to become more like Jesus. So it doesn't matter what I've achieved or what I've not achieved. It matters whether I'm more like Jesus today than I was five years ago. But see, we let the world come in. And so I'm supposed to have a better car. I'm supposed to have a bigger budget. I'm supposed to have the perfect family and a great... I can't find that in the Bible. So why are you so upset about that stuff? Does that make sense? We get upset about it. God never said you're supposed to have it. He just said, come follow me. There's no other promises except he'd be with us and his supply our needs, not our wants or desires. Sorry if it's too harsh, but I don't want you climbing a ladder and when you're 94, realise I was on the wrong building. <laughs> hey? Because I wouldn't be doing the right thing for you, would I? I don't want to get up here and lie to you. And so maybe today some people need to surrender some stuff they've been yearning for for years and just trust God to give it to you if you're meant to have it. And then he'll give you... His best instead of your whatever you can grasp at. 
Because the stuff we grasp at becomes sand in our hands. I saw a documentary on Kerry Packer. I actually liked Kerry Packer. thought he had more sense than a lot of politicians that have ever run the country. He, <laughs> they, they said he should have become prime minister. He didn't want the job. Too smart, probably. A few years ago, he passed away, and there was a, um, I was watching a documentary on Kerry Packer. And I was impressed. I was generally impressed, right, with his resolve and his strong personality. He had a great business head on his shoulders. You know what? Man's way is not God's way. said it last week. I'll say it again. Jesus thinks differently. At the memorial service, his son described him as a legend. And Kerry Packer certainly made an impact on our nation. And will be recorded in history as a great Australian. But I want you to see the contrast, right? Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey. That in itself was a sign of humility. It's a bit like coming to town these days on a moped. We don't see our politicians riding around on mopeds, do we? But that's how Jesus did his life. He didn't show up on a white horse. As the kings did in those days, he showed up on a donkey. He died the death of a common criminal. Two guys next to him. It's just, just another day for the Romans just killing people off through crucifixion. They didn't even treat Jesus' death special. Oh, yep, yeah, but I want special things in my life. Well, that's not being like Jesus. Jesus didn't ask for anything special. There was no state memorial service for Jesus Christ like there was for Kerry Packer. The Bible puts it this way in Philippians 2, going from verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He didn't have to stay there, you know. He could have showed his power, but he chose to stay on the cross, chose to humble himself. Therefore, got to love the therefores, hey, God exalted him. You know what? God will exalt you if you humble yourself. But if I exalt myself, oh my goodness, God will humble me. That's why I'm too... <laughs> you know, that's what makes humility really attractive to me. Because there's two options in the Bible. It more often says humble yourselves, right? But, you know, just read the story of Pharaoh. Because if you don't humble yourself, God will humble you. And I'd rather humble myself. Thank you very much. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place. Gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. God will, the Father will exalt him. He didn't exalt himself. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord God to the Father. It is the meek that shall inherit the earth. Meekness isn't weakness. Meekness is power under control. The strong and forceful may acquire wealth and position, but the meek will inherit the earth. And last one, I know I'm growing as a Christian when I'm hungry to be more like Jesus. Hungry. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, for they shall be filled. When we are hungry, I don't know about you, but when I'm hungry, I move towards the fridge. Isn't that right? If I'm thirsty, I move towards a drink. And if we're hungry 
for more of God will move towards him, not away from him. The sequence of these verses I've just gone through, these four verses, is significant. I'll just put them differently. We know our need, so we know poor in spirit. We grieve over our sin. We walk in humility and we hunger for God. We don't hunger to the degree we need to until we've properly mourned over our sin. And after mourning over our sin, we then move into hungering after righteousness and the filling will come. And this is the one that really challenged me, actually. Um, I know. You lose, when you get old, you lose count of the years, don't you? <laughs> I'm not looking at Gary and Judas for any reason. Um, so I just quote years. I used to quote years at the school for years, or discipleship school when I'd teach there, but then the students would start laughing because I'd quoting years of my life that they weren't even born yet. So I stopped quoting years and just told stories. But I'll say it. In 1992, I left Brisbane and left being an electrician to go to the Salvos Discipleship School because I was hungry for God. And more than that, I was hungry to live a life without sin anymore. I was hungry to actually experience the victory that comes, that I can walk away from, you know, those habits that we just can't shake. And I just remember being so hungry. You know what? God filled me. I, I could easily say I had one of the most victorious spiritual years of my life. Why? Because I was hungry. I was hungry to be like Jesus. I was more hungry to be like Jesus. And after all the stuff I've shared this morning, right? That's a weird hunger, right? Because it doesn't mean I get a new car. It doesn't mean I get a bigger bank balance. It doesn't mean, you know, I get the perfect family just means I've become more like Jesus. He didn't have any of those things, did he? Jesus never got married. He never had kids. Okay? So do we really want to be like Jesus? Well, if we do, then we need a hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, seek first. I was listening to the radio the other day, and it said the most um, highlighted, like the U version of the Bible, you can highlight stuff and whatever. So they, you know, like everything else, um, on your phone, they're watching you. You know, Big Brother's watching you. So they can just go into, the U version guys can go and say, what was the most popular verse? I think it was 2021. You know what verse was the most highlighted or popular verse in the U version Bible in 2021? Seek first the kingdom of God. Wow. All these things shall be added unto you. You know what? If we put God first, he takes care of the rest. Proven it in my life so many times. Life has been so created and ordained by God that it is an active process. It is either growing or dying, one of the two. Nothing that has life stays the same. Have you noticed that? Can I just share this? Because, you know, I'm so passionate about keeping the culture of this church healthy. If you're in a home group and it hasn't got a spare seat, right? In a home group, it's healthy, at least psychologically, to have an empty chair. You know the purpose of that empty chair? Is to invite someone into that home group. Because if it doesn't grow, it will die. So it might be nice and comfortable for a while, but in a year or so, it'll be dead. Because, and I had to accept that. When I first started running churches and went to Westlakes, I, I was running a home group, and it grew. 
That was about 10 people. 11 was good, too big. And then I read some stuff and went, ah, oh, they're not supposed to stay the same. So if your body stayed the same, you'd be dead. Your, skill, your cells change all the time. Where body's always growing. If my body wasn't growing, I'd be dead. So if our church isn't growing, it'll be dead soon. So that's why I got excited when Eden's friend came to youth group on Friday night. Because if youth isn't growing, it'll soon be dead. If our small groups aren't growing, they'll soon be dead. So we've got to have this passion for growth. Does that make sense? If I'm not growing, I'm dying. If our ministries aren't growing, they're dying. Once this growth process ends, whether it is with vegetation or our body or our mind, the dying process begins. There is no staying the same. I don't know how you feel about that because I love the same. Like Greg Laurie, you listen to Greg Laurie on the radio this morning, is saying, as you get older, you know why time seems to go quicker? Because the older you get, the more routine you have. <laughs> like the same restaurant, same coffee, same cafe. And that's why, so if you know, we want to make life last longer, mix it up a bit. Yeah, I was disappointed to hear that because I like it the same. So I actually have, you know, one of, one of my idols, if you like, in my life is I like it the same. I like my routine. But God says, well, that's okay. You can have your routine, but you'll die early. <laughs> Isn't that what it's saying? You can have your nice, comfortable little small group, but it'll die early. You can have your nice, comfortable little youth group or church or whatever, but it'll die early. So it's our choice. Do you want to grow or die? I think I've said enough, eh? It's your choice. Let's have the band come up here. And, you know, I've gone through the four things, but I know the Holy Spirit well enough to know that he can say so much, much other stuff than what I've said in the last however long. So whatever the Holy Spirit's telling you to do, asking you to do because he's so polite, I just really encourage you to respond. And so if, if it helps you to come and kneel at the front here, what we call the mercy seat, it's where we get God's mercy, it's just a way to humble ourselves. Maybe we want to stand and worship. Maybe we want to lie on the floor and worship. Maybe we want to kneel and worship. Whatever helps you to block out everything else in the room, actually, and just focus on God for five minutes, ten minutes, whatever, however long we feel it's right, okay? And just make sure that we're growing and we're not dying. Thank you.